Hey, this is Nathan Dawkin from Fantrax HQ, as well as the Nasty Cast and Fantrax Dynasty Baseball Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 103, Fast Times at Ridgemont High Movie Review. Chris McBrien, along with Derek Myers, as always, you're going to find us on Twitter at C McBrien or at Amaron underscore DM. PopGoesYourWorld.com is our website. Make sure you leave us a review on iTunes if you listen to the show there and you like it. Derek Myers, how are you doing, my friend? Doing good, Chris. How are you doing this week? I'm doing really well, and I'm very excited to talk about the movie this week. Oh, right in my wheelhouse. Of course, it's your pick. It's from the 80s. What's not to love? <laughs> exactly. You know, there's that. And not only are we going to talk about Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Derek, but we're going to do it with a guest. We're bringing in a guest, and not just any guest. We're bringing in a very special guest because we're bringing in Kay Myers herself, Derek Myers' lovely and talented wife. And you'll find her on Twitter at KW underscore Myers, M-Y-E-R-S. Derek, would you like to introduce all of our wonderful podcast audience to your wife. Indeed, I would. So this is my better half. Uh, <laughs> I can we, vouch for we that. Have, uh, we've been married good for... Answer. Good answer, indeed. <laughs> we've been married for 16 years. We met in 1998 when we were both working at Blockbuster Video. And Kay is every bit the movie aficionado <laughs> that I am. She ha- is a pop culture expert we have similar movie tastes but we do have some differences but i know that fast times is a movie she uh likes a lot so that's why we asked her to come on so that's kay, why we bought it on dvd of course so uh okay <laughs> say hello to the uh the podcast audience hi podcast audience <laughs> it's great to have you here okay you know i will i uh, will thank vote you so much for having me chris oh well it's, it's and i haven't actually had a chance to talk to you in a number of years so it's really really great for us to connect again i will say this i remember oh, i don't know it's going back quite a few years now but my wife and i came down and we spent a night at your place and we were playing um a trivia game was it seen it on i think so yeah it was on yeah, the xbox on the it? xbox yeah and i wow, remember playing it thinking and i'm thinking like my wife is definitely out of this okay so she's she's <laughs> gonna she's gonna finish last so I mean, I'd, I'd say that to her face she knows that and i'm thinking this is gonna be a battle between me and derek and Kay won like <laughs> Kay kicked our butts she really Sweet. knows her stuff man oh man yeah. yeah i learned a long time we used to do uh pub trivia from time to time oh and, that stuff's great uh, and it, i was always glad when Kay was on the team because it I knew that she was going to beat me as long as I didn't have to compete against her and she was on my team. I knew we were going to do well. So, <laughs> so is anything before we get into our movie, uh, anything new and exciting going on in your life? So not so much in the way of pop culture, but I just mm-hmm. want to say uh, yesterday was a pretty good day for me. So I've been incredibly busy at work, like stupid busy. And then we had a we had an opportunity last week at work where uh, a, one of our uh, committees was like, Hey, it's Environment Week. We're trying to promote environmental behavior. And if you make a donation, charitable donation to the environmental, I think it was the David Suzuki Environmental Environmental Fund of $20 or more, your name will go in the draw and you'll get a free paid day off work. Basically, you'll get an extra vacation day this year at any time you want. And so, hey, 
I'm a soft touch. 20 bucks to a charitable donation. Why not? So I throw in my 20 bucks and I ended up winning the draw. So I ended up getting <laughs> oh, a free awesome. vacation day. Oh, nice. Best 20 bucks I spent all day. <laughs> Fantastic. And then later that night, my Boston Bruins won the fourth game of the semifinals and advanced to the Stanley Cup. So I'm like, this day is just getting better and better. So yesterday was a really good day for me. Oh, that's nice. And and you, of course, work in the in the financial field, we will say. Indeed, you know, I do. Uh, something from my work I would share with you is, and I mean, we've shared this before, you know, I'm a, I'm a college professor. This is what I do. So I'm in, I'm in class this week and I teach this one class um, and it has to do with like personal branding. You know, and, and and I try to empower my students to really kind of take a look at their online branding, their offline branding as they enter the workforce, you know, just really kind of trying to give them the professional edge as they head into the workforce. And so I'm giving a lecture on personal branding on Wednesday. And then I kind of I, I kind of throw it to them and I say, OK, listen, you've only known me for a week. This is only our second week together because we were talking about personal branding and they're like, well, it's really hard to like establish person, you know, your personal brand. Like, how do you do that? And how do you know what you're all about? And I'm like, okay, well, I always put myself out there. I'm like, okay, well, you've known me for a week. So what can you say about me? When you, when you look at me, when you think of me, what are some things that you think of? And so, and I said, be honest, we're in a safe place here. We can talk. Let's just be honest. What do you think of what, when you think of me, what does my personal brand entail? And so someone puts up their hand and they, and they say podcasting. I'm saying, yes, that's a good one. I'm a podcaster. That's right. Anything else? Well, you teach it at the college. I was like, yes. Okay. So there's another thing that you associate with me. Another guy puts up his hand and says, well, I heard this about you like before I ever even met you, but I heard that you really like Star Wars. And I'm like, yes, that's another good one. Very good. And then finally, this girl at the back puts up her hand. And I said, yeah, what what else do you think of when you think of me? And she's like, well, like, you know, don't take this the wrong way, but like, you're kind of a nerd. <laughs> and I'm like, that's I'm like, that's that. a bad thing. And I'm like, I, I fully own it. I said, I am a nerd. I totally am. <laughs> and I'm cool with that. It's okay. I was, and she's like, really, don't, you know, don't take offense. I'm like, I don't. I own it. I, I am a nerd. As my wife has often said to me before, she's like, yeah, you're a nerd. But you're like, you're like, you're kind of a cool nerd, you know, for whatever it's worth. I sure, was, sure. Justify it however you feel you have. <laughs> you are a super nerd. I am a total My nerd. My wife says I'm cool. <laughs> exactly. So I got that. You know, so I got that going for me. Because I was like, I said to her, the, the student afterward, I was like, I was fully expecting you to say that like I, I was chubby. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. I think you're fat. You know? I'm like, so the fact that I'm a nerd, I can live with that. No big deal. But anyway, on that note, what do you say we get started? Let's head off and do our movie. We love him, we hate him, we agree, we disagree. Freddie Mercury is the greatest singer who, who ever was. He is the greatest singer that ever will be. Some of the things in Freddie Mercury's real life were uh, possibly X-rated. <laughs> there is no way Rocky was a better movie than Taxi Driver. I love this idea. Probably the greatest film that's ever made. And I just picked it on a whim. And we can have a couple beers and we can play Escape from the Death Star. Walking in a winter wonderland. I try to pick something Christmas. This is a Fargan trick question! So I mentioned uh, I wanted us to watch Fast Times at Ridgemont High, 1982 film. Love this movie a lot. Um, and I don't know, I, if, is this going to be one of those movies that I loved, you know, from when I was younger? And then we go back and take a look at it and just go, ah, this is terrible. I don't know. So I want to take a look at this. Uh, Derek, why don't you take it away? I made you watch this movie. Did you watch it recently? Did you have a chance to to watch it? Yeah. So so um, I'd seen this movie before. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed this movie from the best of my recollection, I enjoyed this movie, but I hadn't seen it in a long time, like probably almost 10 years. And as we've discovered in many of our podcasts here, 
movies from the 80s don't always hold up when you look at them from the lens of 2019. You look at political correctness. Mm. You look at just the way culture has changed in 30 years. And you sort of watch some of these older movies. And in some cases, they hold up. And in some cases, you just cringe with – uh, you know, with fear at at how inappropriate some of the comments are, and how how skewed some of the view is, like how how narrow some of the focus is on some of these movies, and of course, again, we've talked about this a lot of times. How at the time some of these things were perfectly acceptable, but now they are absolutely not acceptable when you look at them from today's lens. So if you get someone like Yancey, who's a younger person who maybe has never seen this movie before who watches it for the first time, there's going to be potentially things that they look at and you and I, as older people who have seen this movie many times, will laugh and think that's funny and you get a younger person who watches it and says, not so cool, guys. You shouldn't be laughing at that. So that that's always my fear when we go back to an older movie that I have fond memories of is that watching it with today's viewpoint, it doesn't hold up in that regard. But – Personally, I thought – so uh, Ken and I just watched it earlier tonight and I, I thought it held up well. I mean there were certainly a few points that we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that maybe don't hold up as well but were sort of the sign of the times. Uh, but for the most part, I, I, I liked it. I still liked it. I thought for the most part it really holds up. It's a, it's a slice of life. It's a, it's, a, it's a moment in pop culture that is accurate for that time. If you could also say it's even trend setting for the time, I think it might have even be ahead of its time in some regards, and we'll talk about that later. But uh, unlike something like Revenge of the Nerds, which really had a lot of problems when you go back and watch it, right? I think Fast Times really, really held up okay. I think I agree with you, like because, um, yeah, like a movie like Revenge of the Nerds. I'm glad you brought that up. Like there were so many, you know, parts of the that movie where the the, the comedy came from. You know, picking on people. And and things that were just not politically correct. And, you know, like, you know, as we look back on it and go, like, you can't just laugh at the Asian guy because he's Asian. You know what I mean? Like, that's just not right. cool. Right. But I think this movie is a little bit different. And and, and there's, there and to me, there wasn't a lot of parts of the movie where um, remember in Animal House when Belushi was like spying in on the girls. Like, I mean, that's just not cool. You know, but in this movie, I felt that and I'm sure we'll get into this a bit more and I'm sure Kate will have a lot to contribute as well. I, I felt like the, the the female characters in this movie had a lot of control over their sexuality and the things that happened in this movie. So there was that. And a couple other things like we talk about those sex comedies from the 70s and 80s. We mention them on this podcast all the time. And this movie obviously draws on sex and raunchiness. And like when you think of movies like Animal House and Porky's. You know, th that's kind of what you think of with the sex comedies. But this one is right up there with those movies. Um, but it's, I don't think it's just raunchiness for raunchiness sake. You know, like it really I think there's actually some substance to this movie. I really do. Um, one, one big thing with this movie, too, is that like when I first saw this movie, I was way too young to see it. I think I was probably 13 <laughs> when I first saw it. Like I said, way too young. And. Rightly or wrongly, back then, back in those days, you know, mostly wrongly, I guess, uh, this is where we learned a lot about sex was from movies, you know, and this yep. was one of the ones that kind of was a big educating thing for me personally. And I think a lot of other Gen X uh, 
you know, men especially, with one of the scenes in the movie that I'm sure we're going to get to at some point. But Kay, <laughs> I'd like your take on this. Uh, you're, you, again, you just had a chance to watch it recently. And the main question I'd like to ask is, number one, does it hold up? But more importantly, I think, is this movie sexist? Kay, what do you think? Um, I don't really think so, no, because um, it's it's actually like more from the female character's point of view, especially the the main girl, Stacy. Like most of the movie is from her point of view. It's about her and her experiences. So I think it's it's more female empowering, if you could say, for, mm. for a movie from its day. Yeah, no, that's what I thought. It's funny when I watched this movie uh, recently, I made my wife watch it with me, as I always do for this podcast. And she, and she actually said, you know, with Stacy's character, she's like, man, she's a slut. <laughs> and I was like, wow. But, you know, when you think about it, like she's the one that's kind of driving, you know, everything that's happening in the movie. And she's the one that's, you know, she's doing this. It's not like, you know, she's getting forced into anything. She is exploring her sexuality, you know, as a young woman. And we're yeah. kind of going along on that journey. As she does, and the movie was directed by a woman, Amy Heckerling, yes. right? Yeah, I mean, she, she did, also did uh, Clueless, right? Yes, and she did Johnny Dangerously, yeah. which is one of my favorites from the eighties. Um, European Vacation, and she did the lot. Look who's talking movies too, but you know they they they, they sucked. Um, <laughs> and I thought it was interesting that Cameron Crowe, who also did Almost Famous, he was twenty two years old when, and he went undercover as a student. And went into a like a California high school to write a book, which then was used, you know, as the basis for this movie, you know. But um, but yeah, so so you you feel that because Kay, unlike me, you are like Derek, and you like to watch movies from today's generation. I'm still stuck in the 70s and 80s, but so well, being, I like well, I like them all. I like yeah. the 70s, 80s. Up until today, absolutely. And, and so you feel that this movie as well, like, it kind of holds up a little bit. Like, have you watched any other movies in this vein? A little while ago, Derek made me watch American Pie, which I you know, <laughs> think was one of the very few sort of sex comedies from the millennial generation, right? And, um, and I'm sure we'll touch base on American Pie a bit later. But um, overall, Derek mentioned that he felt that this movie held up. So you, you agree with that, I'm assuming? Yeah, I I think so cuz um like Derek and I were also talking about um how there's the uh like mentor student relationship between two girls uh like the older girl Linda who is Phoebe Cates right. and uh, and the Stacy character so like the older girls you know instructing Stacy on sexuality things so how to get and how to do sex properly and you know how long it should last that kind of stuff so And how much comes out yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the interesting thing with that whole dynamic that I felt was that Linda, she she kind of comes across like Phoebe Cates. She comes across like she's the, the mentor. That's a really good, uh, a really good description of it. Um, but she doesn't really know all that much. She, yeah. She thinks or she she puts up this front like she is all really experienced and all that. But really, you realize by the end of the movie, Stacy is way, way more educated. About sex yeah. than Linda is. Linda, yeah, she just seems a little naive, but she's, you know, she's she's got more heart than uh, than the Linda character. And it almost comes across toward the end of the movie. I felt that Linda. I I kind of thought maybe she's still a virgin, like she's just putting up this front, like she knows everything, <laughs> but she really doesn't. Because some of the things so, that she says, you know. So I have a question for both of you. Then yes. So I've seen this movie a few times now. We watched it again tonight, and this has always been a question for me: was 
Do you think so during the course of the film, Linda talks about having this boyfriend who's a little bit older, who's somewhere off screen that we've never seen. And she she tells stories about him. Do you think he exists? Do you think he's real or do you think she's just making this up uh, to to seem worldly and important to her younger, more naive friend? I have I, always felt, even from my very first viewing, that this boyfriend that we've never seen doesn't actually exist. What do you think? I that, mean, Kay, that, what do you think? Do you yeah. think he actually Kay, exists? Kay, what do you think? Good question. Yeah, it is a good question. I, I have a theory. Um, I... I guess I guess because I watched it when I was so young, I just assumed because I I was naive as well. I assumed that she was telling the truth, and there's this real guy out there. But she's she lies about stuff, you know, sometimes here and there. Because when they talk about oh, how long does it last? Oh, like you know, fifteen to twenty minutes. Oh, I thought you meant thirty to forty minutes. Oh, right. yeah, yeah, right, right, thirty to forty minutes, yeah. right, right. So. Maybe she's not as experienced as she lets on. I mean, that that certainly seems to be the case. And is it because he's totally fictitious or it's because mm. maybe he isn't as, quote, great a lover as she's trying to make <laughs> make him out to be? I don't know. I always just felt that she she made him up. I, we never see him. But at the same time, maybe he is real. And the fact that he's older and somewhere farther away because we don't he have, doesn't go to high school right he's clearly not in high school which is part of the appeal of oh i had this older boyfriend and he's in college or he's working or whatever i don't know i just never felt he actually existed uh i don't know chris what do you think so i always felt that too in the in the first part of the movie i thought she's making this up like at the beginning you don't think that because you think oh she's she's experienced and then when the you start to catch her in a couple of these lies like Kay mentioned oh it lasts this long oh i thought you said it was this long oh no that's what i meant and this much you know uh th- this is what happens you know when 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 a guy reaches you know orgasm and and you realize what she doesn't know what she's talking about so i'm thinking that she's making <laughs> this guy up but the one thing that made me kind of question it was later in the film she gets all upset and she's crying because he broke up with her so is she making yeah. that up too? Like, why would she do that? Like, why would she fictitiously yeah, make mean, up this breakup? Yeah, and and so that was that was always sort of the the gray area was yeah. If he's if he's not real, she obviously needs to break up with him at some point, or else her friends are going to say, "Let's meet this guy." So you expect the fact that some at some point she's going to break up with him, or he's going to break up with her. But the fact that she actually cries genuine tears and seems to demonstrate an emotional response appropriate for someone who has been dumped by a real person brings the question back around of, well, maybe he is real. So that's sort of been why I've always been the gray areas at the beginning, sort of, you know, you watch the first half of the movie and you sort of think, Oh, this guy, she's lying. But then at the end, she's, she seems upset that he's dumped her. Like, is she that good? Is she going to put on this show just for her friend? Or is she genuinely hurt? She that's, seems genuinely hurt. Yeah, so that's, that's an that interesting that's point. Yeah, that's an yeah. interesting point because I'm, I, my my initial thought was that, you know, he must be real because why would she make that up? But maybe she's doing that to save face with her friends just to say that they're no longer together. But it, but again, you would think that if she was going to do that, then she would be like, well, I broke up with him. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't know. That's that's interesting. So, yeah, I don't know. We're probably reading a lot more into the script than we should. You know? <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, so basically, so you got this movie that is basically about, you know, teenagers having lots of sex, you know, which is really par for the course, you know, for around that time when this movie came out. 
But uh, as we mentioned, well, I, don't know. I, I would argue with that, that at the time. And, it, and so the movie would have been shot in 81 and released in 82. Correct. I would think that at the time, this was not something that you saw in every single movie. Like it, to me, this was more of the trailblazer. This was the first movie to deal with these topics in this serious way. And it sort of paved the road for other comedies and other movies that came after it to deal with some of these topics. But we talk about things like teenage pregnancy and abortion and right. premarital sex and the the absence of birth control and things like that. Like these are big topics. And I got to think this is one of the first sort of big movies to address these topics in a serious way, despite the fact that it's a comedy. That's a good point, because there, there, there were, like I say, the sex comedies up until this point, things like Porky's and Animal House, and even things like like uh, Private Lessons and things like that. But they didn't address it in a serious way like this With movie no did. no consequences. Right. And this movie has consequences, right? Good point. Yeah. So that, that kind of made it a bit of a trailblazer. That's for sure. Um, I wanted to just uh, to talk a little bit about the cast. Because I think that's an important part of this movie. Um, so many of the cast, but it's, it's a very seminal movie. You know, a lot of these actors went on to do a lot of other things. So a couple of the cast members I want to talk about, uh, Judge Reinhold. So although he's become somewhat of a punchline, you know, especially with those <laughs> god awful straight to video movies that he made. Um, but, you know, for a while there, he was looking to be a bit of a breakout star. I mean, like he was the Beverly Hills cop. You know, people always think it, it was Eddie Murphy, you know, and he was obviously the star of that movie. But the actual Beverly Hills cop of the title was Judge Reinhold, right? So Judge Reinhold and was, his partner. Well, yeah, 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 I guess you know with, with Taggart, the old guy Taggart, yeah. 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 But uh, Judge Reinhold was great in this movie too. So, mm -hmm. uh, like, he was a guy. Yeah, that, he was. He was like the main male senior cool guy from high school who everybody wanted to be and everybody wanted to be with. Well, cause he, he had the cool job. Like he worked at all American yeah. burger member and, <laughs> and, and, uh, and Arnold wanted to get in there and all that. And then judge the secret sauce at American burger. Exactly. <laughs> Ketchup and mayonnaise. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, and then he also went on to an episode of Seinfeld. Remember he was the close talker. Oh yeah. The close talker. Yeah. Yeah. So he did that, but, uh, it seemed like a, for a while there, he was like going to be on a very big sort of sort of upward arc with his career. And that just never really happened. But uh, one that certainly did go on to big things was Sean Penn. And I only ever see him as Spicoli and anything I see him, I just think <laughs> that was my skull. Like that's, <laughs> I, I can only hear, you know, the stoner voice every time I see him. But it wasn't even his first movie, right? No. Cause, Cause taps he did before that. Um, and actually he originally auditioned for the part of Brad of Reinhold's character. And the director was like, nah, man, no, nah, man, you, you're Spicoli. And uh, the thing is, for me, like, I've always thought Sean Penn was a total jerk. The whole Madonna <laughs> thing. Remember, he was like, oh, chasing man, that reporter yeah. and all those like assaults that he had. His whole public persona is basically just one big jerk. Remember when Chris Rock hosted the Oscars and he made a joke about Jude Law being in like every single movie that year? And then, like, the whole show goes on, and it's near the end, and then Sean Penn comes out, like, to, I don't know, to give away an award. And then he starts digging into Chris Rock. He's like, oh, you know, Jude Law is one of our greatest actors to answer our host. And, like, Sean Penn's a jerk. 
you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, but he's gone on to be like a hugely influential actor. Two time Oscar winner. Yeah, so. Very successful. Mostly with the critics though. I still don't think audiences really like him very much. Mm. I don't know. Maybe that's just my take, but you know, he was big. I don't know. Movie. When we, when we just rewatched this today, I found every time he was on the screen, I was laughing at all his dialogue. Uh, I, I don't know if it was just my, you know, the idea that it was this, stoner surfer guy from the 80s and and just the concept of that kind of character made me laugh or knowing what he becomes later made me laugh but i found every scene he was in made me laugh in some way i agree with you and for me it was his throwaway lines that always got me like there's the scene where he um he's having the dream and he's being interviewed as as a surfer and the, the guy's like there in the suit and he's interviewing him and then um, he he's like doing the interview, and then in the middle of the interview, he just turns. He's like, "Where'd you get that jacket?" Like just he just is <laughs> the throwaway line. And the guy's like, "Whatever." And then um, when he goes into, remember when they went into the morgue, and yeah. and he took the class in there, and then like the teacher, I think it was Mister Vargas, turns to him yeah. and goes, "Are are you in my class?" He's like, "I am today." Like just these throwaway <laughs> lines. I agree with you. Like he was really funny in that movie. Stayed in character the whole time they shot the film too. Eh. Like he yeah, stayed I, I in character. Well. He, was, he made him yeah. call him Spicoli. Like he, he's a method actor, right? And this is one of his mm-hmm. first films. But yeah, his character was good. And did you notice anybody, um, little cameos of any other actors? Did you know? I'm sure that you picked up on them, or especially early in the film. Remember, I mean, remember like, the scene. Uh, There's the scene when they go into the restaurant and he takes. They all take their shirts off. And, Br- oh, and Brad yeah, has to come over. Yeah, Eric Stoltz and um, Anthony Edwards. Yes, and Nick Cage, right? So, and Nick Cage. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. those guys, like and like Nick Cage, that was his first movie he ever did. Pardon me, Nick Coppola, as he's credited in this movie. <laughs> well, yeah, because he was he, he was Nick Coppola at the time, and they used to make fun of him on set. Yeah. And they would, they would, yeah. make, they would make all these jokes because they, they were like, ah, you only got this job because, you know, because your uncle. So he changed his name to Nicolas Cage. Um, Forrest Whitaker. Obviously, in this movie as well, you know, the play- only person of color with a speaking role. <laughs> there you go. Um, he, he's another one that went on to win an Academy Award. You mentioned Sean Penn, Forrest Whitaker, and Nicolas Cage won an Academy Award too. There's three of them from this movie that won Academy Awards, four. right? Those are four winners. Four winners if you include Cameron Crowe. Ah, that's and true. Who wrote, who wrote the movie? And we had other nominees. One more nominee: uh, Jennifer Jason Leigh for uh, Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight. Oh, that's a that's a good one too. You uh, ever seen that one, Chris? Hateful I have, Eight. I have Tarantino? not seen Hateful Eight. I've seen a lot of Tarantino's films, but I haven't seen that one. Um, I thought it was interesting when he cast her in that because he seems to like to go back to like the seventies and eighties and pluck these actors out of obscurity, you know, and put yeah. them in. And speaking of which, like she never really did much after this movie, did she? Like she, uh, was, I wouldn't. I mean, she's, she obviously worked, but I think that you're right. I don't think there was a lot of like uh, A-list Hollywood movies. Um, like she did – what's that one with um, Batman, Christian, Christian Bale? Machinist? Yes. She's in The Machinist with Christian Bale where Christian Bale weighs like 80 pounds and right. does like this whole body transformation. She was good in that. She was, good, she was great in The Hate Plate. Uh, she was in uh, Rush, the – Single white the, female. The drug movie? Drug movie. Yeah, single white female. Yeah. She played yeah. the uh, – the bad guy. And the thing is, I, I don't really understand. Like, she's she's a really, really good actress. Even in this Absolutely. movie. Like, she just jumps off the screen. Like, she owns this movie. And for such a young 
actor to do that. Like, I, th- I thought she was a really talented actor. I remember when I first saw this movie, too, on a personal note. Uh, I really liked her because she looked just like this girl at my high school that I had this major crush on. <laughs> and so, like, this movie, like, kind of meant a lot to me for that. And remember the guy yeah. that, that, that played Arnold that I was mentioning yeah. before? He was in Police Academy. Really? Yeah, I remember Chad and Kyle, the the, the those oh the, the, the brown nose yeah, yeah, the, the brown nose cadets. Yeah. Remember they went yeah. to the the um the blue oyster gay bar? Remember those guys? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Arnold was one of them. Remember these, and Lieutenant Harris is like, What happened at the party? And they're like, Dancing, sir. Mostly dancing. <laughs> <laughs> so that he was in that. And then uh, obviously, um well uh, before we get to her, I, like Mike Damone. Robert Romanus, like he never really did I much else. Haven't seen him since. I think he did a yeah. few episodes of Will and Grace, if oh, I remember correctly. Wow. And that was pretty much That's it. it. Yeah. And then Brian Backer, who was Mark Ratner, I remember him. He was in a movie called Moving Violations. It was a stupid little movie, but I liked it. And then, of course, Phoebe Cates. So, but again, not much else. She was in Gremlins. Then she married Kevin, well, Kevin she- Klein. I was going to say, she married Kevin Klein, and I think that I'm pr- fairly certain they're still together. And I think they've had a bunch of kids. I think she opted to be a full time mom. Right. And, uh, but from what I, I remember reading, she's, he is 15 years older than her. Mm-hmm. But hey, man, age is just a number. If they're happy and they've been together this long, hey, great. Good for them. Yeah, good for him. Uh, um, so, <laughs> I, I, speaking of Phoebe Cates, I'd like to, to talk about this. And this is, you know, sort of the big thing. And, and Kay, I really want to loop you into this. The, oh, no. the red bikini scene. <laughs> I don't remember that scene, Chris. <laughs> One of the most iconic scenes in Gen yeah. X pop culture. Let's be honest. And we obviously talk a lot about Gen X versus millennial pop culture. That's what our whole podcast is, really. So a couple of things I want to talk about with that. First of all, going way back, I remember we had um, Danielle Salinger on the podcast. And we talked about this scene. And I and I said, you know, oh, this the the, the Phoebe Cates red bikini scene, you know, it was you know jaw dropping. And you know, what were your thoughts on it? Because she, she likes Gen X pop culture, and she's like, "Are you kidding me? My jaw hit the floor too." <laughs> and I just thought that was so funny. I agree. Yeah. Like, like so so. Um, what are your thoughts on that scene? Okay. I just want I just want, um, I want to talk about that scene a little bit because it's really a a big scene in the movie, obviously. <laughs> Well, like, first of all, I think it's brave for, like, any female to, you know, take her top off in in movies, TV, because, you know, that's it's pretty vulnerable for, you know, people to see any part of you naked. So, I mean, good for her for being brave to do that. But, um, you know, at the same time, it was also f- played for laughs as well because of what uh, Judge Reinhold was doing in the bathroom <laughs> at the same time. Right. Um, so, like... You know, at the one at one hand, you're like, "Wow, she looks awesome." I can understand why he's doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny, you know, you mentioned that she's obviously, you know, was and she was uncomfortable doing that scene. Um, yeah, she was worried that people were going to like, you know, look into the set and, and see her. But and, and the funny thing is, is that that wasn't her first movie. She had just come off of a movie called Paradise. With Willie Ames. It was basically a ripoff of the Blue Lagoon. Oh, of Blue Lagoon. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah I remember that. I remember seeing that when yeah. I was younger. Yeah, and, and she did lots of nudity in that. So it wasn't like yeah. she was uncomfortable doing nudity, but she still was, you know, apprehensive about doing that scene. But I think maybe that's part of what makes that scene so so non-exploitative 
if it's if I can say that, is because of what happens right after it. It's really the guy that gets, you know, is exploited in that scene in a way, you know. It's it's, it's so funny. But uh the, uh Derek, what are your thoughts on 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 that scene? <laughs> I'm I, I don't remember that scene very well. I've only seen it the one time. Yeah, no. right. <laughs> um I don't think I, I really I don't have anything to add beyond what you've said other than so when I was reading some of the trivia for this movie I read that um in preparation for this scene Judge Reinhold smuggled in a uh a, a, you know a fake penis he smuggled in a a marital aid if you will and <laughs> when Phoebe Cates walks in on him in the bathroom he had this prosthetic jutting out of his pants which he didn't tell anybody he was going to do so when she walks in she gets quite the reaction yeah. uh, and then her reaction is to this you know this fake giant toy sticking out of his pants and then so she has this look of shock and disgust and like oh my god what is happening and apparently that's the that's the take they left in the movie so whether or not that's true, that's what I read it on the trivia and I thought, oh, you know, it made me laugh to think about it. And I think that speaks to what Kay says. It's like, yeah, you have the the scene starts with, you know, this this young, beautiful girl coming out of the pool and, and bearing her breasts. And you think, oh, my God, this is exploiting this young woman. And then it quickly turns into this very embarrassing scene for this young man. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think I think it it sort of bounces very quickly from one end to the other. I mentioned before that, you know, back in back in those days. The only way that we could really get educated about sex a lot of the time was watching these kind of movies. It really yeah. was like we didn't have the Internet. Like I remember when, we, when when Yancey used to be on the show, he's like, Chris, when I was growing up, I could just pick up my phone and go on there and just look at anything, you know, <laughs> and, and just get educated that way. I, I, we didn't have that opportunity when we were growing up like I didn't. So watching yeah, you had to buy the VHS tape of Fast Times at Ridgemont High fast forward it to this scene exactly. and then pause it on Phoebe Kate's taken off her top. <laughs> Basically, nobody ever did that. Nobody, nobody ever of did course that. Not. Yeah. I've heard that's happened before. I, oh. I wouldn't know, you know, of course, but, uh, but that's about, that's about it. You know what I mean? Like it was such an important, I, I think if you look back on Gen X and especially, you know, a whole generation of young men, basically this was a huge, big thing in terms of sexuality for a lot of men. Like, this was like their first exposure to, like, wow, this is what it's all about kind of thing. And uh, literally exposure. And I mean, the, and the scene is just shot like it's like with the, the water splashing up and like all the flowers in the back and wearing the red bikini. And, like, oh, man, the, the scene is just unbelievably iconic. So the one question that I have is, I wonder, is there a millennial equivalent to this scene? Now, Derek, I mentioned earlier, you made me watch American Pie. Yeah, I was just thinking that. I'm and like, I thought with yeah. Shannon Elizabeth scene. Yes. Yeah. That's what I was going to say, where where she has Jim dance for her on the on the and then he tries to cover up the webcam and, the, and then it falls off and all the people are watching on the Internet while he's dancing. I think. That's probably, in my opinion, I think that's probably the closest thing you have to a more millennial. I mean, that's 99. So I guess that would technically be millennial. But that's the one that comes to mind for me. I don't know. Okay, can you think of anything newish that sort of falls into that vein? Oh, like the Hangover movies were were sort of the biggest uh, raunchy sex comedies that I can think of 
sort of past American Pie, but I, I can't think of a single scene that has that sort of sexuality, erotic, sort of uncomfortable, yet you want to look. Uh, you know, I don't think there was really anything like that in the Hangover movies. I think the American Pie, Shan Elizabeth in the bedroom is probably your closest thing. And I, I don't necessarily know if it was better or as good, but I think for ne- for the next generation, that's probably your closest thing. It was pretty Can good. You think anything else? I can't it was- think of a, a more recent movie at the moment, no. no. No, no. And like I said, when we reviewed the American Pie, that scene was pretty good, you know, for that, but... It wasn't the same as this. And, and it just, it going back to what I said before, like, you know, millennials could find this, you know, they could get educated in a number of ways. Yeah. Like, this was all yeah. we had, you know, and for me as a, you know, as a young man, as a young, I was just a teacher, I was like 13 when I saw it. Like seeing this was just eye opening. And and the, the, the other one that stands out to me was there was um, a scene in a movie called Private Lessons. You ever heard of that movie? Just I don't think so. Who was in it? Sex comedy. Um, Howard Hessman was in it, and uh, Sylvia Keitel. Doctor Johnny Fever from yeah. WKRP in Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, Sylvia Keitel and this guy, like, oh, what was his name? Eric something or other. And it was just a small little movie, but there's a scene where, um, where Sylvia Keitel, she like turns around and she's naked, and it's just like, again, it was like this scene. It was just like, wow, this is. Like it's just it's mind boggling. It's just mind boggling when you're this young, way too young to watch this movie. Man, I was way too young, but uh, but it was it was a really important thing, not just for me. I think for a whole generation of young men, you know, that grew up on this scene. So I don't want to dwell on that too much more. A couple of things I do want to dwell on, though, are we we've often talked about um, Gen X movies being very quotable. And there were some quotes in this movie that I just love. Like, I love when when they steal the guy's car and then they, oh, cra- yeah. they crash it. And then and Spicoli's driving and he crashes the car. And then the guy's like, my brother's going to My brother's going to kill us. And Spicoli, of course, right away says, well, what's he going to do? Is he going to or is he going to kill us? And the guy's like, first he's going to then he's going to kill us. I just I love that scene. Mr. Hand. You know, oh, I was going to say, we we definitely have to talk about Mr. Hand, but before God, we do that, the, well, the quote that I always remember from this movie is, no shirt, no shoes, no, no dice. dice. Yeah, that's a good one, too. And that's <laughs> at the beginning with uh, Eric Stoltz and, yeah. uh, and, yeah. and Anthony Edwards in it. So, uh, But yeah, Mr. Hand. Oh, man. And Mr. Hand was like so perfect in this, you know, and he's another one. We were talking about the cast earlier. Um, Ray Walston who was my favorite Martian and then came into the, God, he was so great in this movie. He was so, so good. Oh my God. That scene when he, when he comes, when, um, when uh, Spicoli comes in, him and Spicoli had a couple of really good scenes together. And then he's like, well, why can't you be here on time? And he's like, I don't know. You know I what? don't know. Let's just write. I don't know on the blackboard. <laughs> He's like, let's just put that up there. And, and he's like, Gee, we'll Mr. just leave Hand, that. Am I going to pass this class? Yeah. I don't know. Gee, Mr. Spicoli, I don't know. You know, it's so funny. Oh, my God. I mean, he puts, he, like I say, he just puts the words on the blackboard, leaves them there. So, yeah, Mr. Hand. Oh, God, he was great. And So uh, now, Chris, yeah. I, I read in the trivia that, um, so, sorry, what was the actor's name? Ray, Ray um, Walston. Ray Walston, yeah. So he was in the TV show, My Favorite Martian, and yes. apparently had been basically typecast as as actors often were in that generation and was unable to find significant work when the show finished and then this was sort of 
the first time he had an opportunity to play something vastly different. He played Mr. Hand. And after this movie, because of its success, uh, he had a lot of people afterwards, younger people especially, that would like come up to him on the street and be like, hey, Mr. Hand. And he was quoted as saying like, this was a movie that sort of broke out of that stereotype. And he actually felt very, uh, very happy that he was remembered for more than my favorite Martian. And he was able to leave a memorable impression on sort of the next generation. So, you know, I always, I always thought that found that very positive. And he wasn't actually the first choice. Oh, really? Who was the first choice? Um, uh, From the monsters. What was that guy's name? Oh uh, yeah. The guy who played Herman monster. It was, um, Fred, uh, Fred something. Was it Fred Gwynn? Uh, Fred Gwynn, wasn't it? So Fred Gwynn, I think they wanted Fred Gwynn to play this part. And Fred Gwynn took one look at the script and said, there's no way. I'm not doing this. It's just, it's, it's too sex. Like, it's just, there's just too much sex. It's too raunchy. So then they wanted to get. didn't want to say, what are you people on? Dope. <laughs> exactly. So they got Ray Walston. I thought he was great. Um, I thought Mike Damone had a couple of really good quotes in the movie. Remember the scene where he's got uh, the cutout of Debbie Harry? And he's trying to tell, yeah. he's trying to tell like uh, Ratner about how he's like, yeah. you know, Here are my five rules. Exactly. And the, the, the rules are this, you do this, you do this. And he's like, order for both of you. You know, it's a classy move. Remember, he's like, uh, the lady will have the linguine and white clam sauce and a Coke with no ice, you know, and he's doing all yeah. that. It was great. And whenever possible, put on side one of Led Zeppelin four. <laughs> And, and then it cuts to them in the car and he's playing ca- and then he's got cashmere. He's on got cashmere on totally different album. Right. Yeah. And but then again, that to me sort of emphasized this whole idea of, you know, parallel to the female characters where you had sort of the mentor mentee, the older, uh, the older girl, the younger girl. And then you had these two guys sort of same idea. And in both cases, I, I felt in both cases, you had this mentor who didn't necessarily know what they were talking about, especially it. with the guys. The guys seemed that even more way off base where you know the older guy was sort of spouting off these things but it's clear he didn't have any idea either he was just trying to impress his friend by throwing out this bs that's a really interesting point because on the one hand you got the girls with the mentor and the mentee and the mentor doesn't know what she's talking about and the same thing on the guys thing because he comes off like he knows everything but he really doesn't because and the reason why you know that is in the scene when they're having sex him and stacy are having sex he says to ten her, "Ten minute Demone." Yeah, and remember Pardon me, ten second Demone. Remember, he says to her, "He goes, oh, I think I came." Yeah, and it's like, well, you know, even when I watch this movie, I'm like, I'm not the most experienced human being in the world with this stuff, but <laughs> I think you know. Like, how do you not know? You know, <laughs> like, like what the hell's yeah. going on? Talking about the male characters here. I mean, I think the Demone character is. He's a jerk. No, no, I don't think he's a jerk. He is. He's a jerk. He he thinks he knows everything. He tries to, you know, educate his friend with all the wrong notes. He he impregnates this girl and and he's just a jerk in every sense. He doesn't do do anything that he says he's going to do, even though he might at first try to. He doesn't. But I think you have to balance that off against the positive role models where you've got what was the brother's name? Brad Bradley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brad. Yeah. So you have you have the brother who. You know, you're not really sure what to think of him. It's like, like Kay said, at the beginning of the movie, he seems to be like the, you know, a popular guy. He's got his own car. People looking up to him. He's getting his friend the job at the All-American Burger. And then he starts to go on this downward spiral where he gets fired and he gets this job he doesn't like. And he's embarrassed by having to make this delivery. But when it all comes down to it, he helps out the sister, right? He does the right thing. She gets, she asks him to get rid of the flowers. He does. 
he ends up driving her what he finds out later he drives her to get the abortion he doesn't really bust her chops about it you know she doesn't want to talk about it he doesn't press her on the issue it's like at the end of the day he does what a big brother should do right he stands up for the sister he does the right thing in a movie where there's a lot of poor male male characters here's a guy who actually does the right thing so I, i thought that was important that you at least had one male character who was like this like spicoli you know he's he's funny to laugh at but it's clear he's not reliable. He's not a good student. He's a stoner. Uh, and, you know, and then you've got Damone, who we've already talked about, is pretty much a jerk. You've got the Mike Ratner character who is just so inexperienced. He has no idea what he's doing. You've got all the gambit of all these male characters. It's It was good to see at least one male character who was a positive male character who did the right thing when it counted. All right, Hamilton. <laughs> at the yeah. end. Yeah. Awesome. Totally yeah. awesome. <laughs> so overall, we're we're happy with this movie. It, it has stood the test of time. Do we believe that, Kay? Um, for yeah, for for all the themes, like like all the themes that you like you associate with being a teen, like hanging out at the mall, getting a part time job, going to class, dating, peer pressure, like all of those teenage things. Absolutely, but when it comes to like. Music and fashion, obviously, those things are dated. Right. right. But uh, like like Derek and I were talking about earlier, the the music, uh, even though it's obviously of the day, uh, it was pretty uh, contemporary. Like there were a lot of songs that were popular before or after the movie at the time, and I think that also led to the movie being as popular as it was and still is because there are a lot of popular songs of of bands that we know and love if we love stuff from the 80s and i I gotta think a lot of that came from cameron crowe being the writer you know he's obviously got his finger on the pulse of pop culture and of music uh he wrote for rolling stone magazine as a music reviewer for a long time you know a lot of his movies always have very memorable music in them and i think that 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 uh the music from fast times richmond high very much echoes his sensibility, his uh, his vision, his – you know, I mean it's, it's funny to say vision when we're talking about music. But mm. his ability to know that this song will be the appropriate song for this moment in this movie and will stand the test of time and be relevant. Whether it's because of the content of the lyrics, which in some case very directly relate to the scenes that are being played out, whether it's because – uh, you know, this is just a good pop song um, or or top 40 radio or whatever that, um, you know, is is either up and coming or was already popular. And I, and I think to echo what Kay said, it's like I think there were some songs that maybe weren't popular until this movie came out and the movie helped push some of these songs into pop culture and into that um uh, memorable stratosphere where now you listen back to some of these tunes, you go, oh, that's a great 80s song. And it's like, but would it have been if it wasn't in the movie? Probably not. So I think I think the music is, when I watch this movie, that, that's definitely a huge part of, of this movie. What I enjoy about this movie is the fact the music absolutely fits the, the movie. And for me, I think, you know, one of the things I always harp on is how much I want to have movies to be and characters to be, to be relatable. And to me, I think this movie is very relatable. Like, it's it's about what it's like to go through high school. You know a lot of these characters. 
you were one of these characters. You were uncomfortable with girls or, you know, you knew somebody who was trying to be the suave ladies man who really wasn't. Or you knew the stoner guy in high school. Like, it's very, very much relatable. And so I think the movie is very based in realism. Maybe it had to do with Cameron Crowe going back to high school and, you know, doing a lot of research to write this. But to me, it, it it's not a superficial movie like a lot of the, the movies were around that time, like Porky's. They just seem to be a bunch of stereotypes thrown together. And, you know, for laughs, this movie seemed a little bit more realistic than that. I relate. I, this. I agree as yeah. well, because um, like even, even though obviously all the main characters are white, um, but still they were all like a, a few of them were pretty in a, you know, in a movie sense of their pretty faces, you know, pretty bodies, that kind of thing. But every I think most of the people were like, you know, normal people but like they weren't movie pretty you know what i mean they were real relatable people that yeah. you would see every day like you would see these same people at school or you were you were the you know the same person at school like jennifer jason lee like i mean she's she's beautiful but she's not like like she also looks like the girl next door you know like yeah, she looks like somebody you know from high school the, it, it wasn't until i saw the tv show freaks and geeks that I thought when uh, I first time I saw that show, I love that show. And I thought this reminds me of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It just seems it feels realistic. And there was absolutely. something about this show that, that this movie that was very realistic as well. So overall, I, I, I think it stands up pretty well. Um, there's been a couple of movies Except that I've watched. Except for the smoking in the movie theaters. <laughs> that, that's true. Yeah, that, that's been banned. That's a good Smoking point. upstairs in the balcony, smoking yeah. upstairs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah, there were a few things where we watched it. We just sort of went. Wow, is that ever dated? The smoking in the movie theater was like in the first five minutes, and we were just like, "Holy cow!" The and in the um, where they went into class, and Mr. Han handed out photocopies to all the students, and they smelled the paper. They smelled the photocopies. Oh yeah, those Kids ditto would, copies. Yeah, they don't do. That yeah, anymore. yeah, yeah. Kids yeah. wouldn't do that these days. They wouldn't understand that. No, of course. No, that, I, I think today's kids wouldn't understand the whole idea that the. The photocopy sort of – it took a while to dry and that you could sniff it and get a quick high. Like people would – watch. like again, mm -hmm. I, I'm going to lean on Yancey because I know he probably wouldn't have the context. He would watch this and go, I didn't understand that. And I think a lot of the uh, – a lot of the humor is of the time. Some of it is certainly timeless but there were certainly a lot of uh, quick one-offs, one one-liners, little visual gags that if you aren't up to speed on your 80s pop culture, if you didn't live through the 80s, you wouldn't necessarily understand the joke. Like I think one of the teachers mentioned, I've switched to Sanka. Like, <laughs> That's right. You think today's kids are going to understand what is Sanka and why is this funny? Um, exactly. Again, and he, and he, you laughed. You got the joke. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, and and know what that is. And even like you say, the smelling of the paper, like that wasn't even a photocopy. That was a hand cranked ditto machine. I remember yeah, in yeah. grade school, they had a hand cranked ditto machine that had like this sort of inked paper that went on and just kind of stamped all the, the, the papers that came out. But, uh, but I, I guess I meant more like, how does it hold up in terms of, you know, the relatability of the characters and all that kind of stuff. And, and can you watch it now and still appreciate it? And I, and I think you can. Let me throw this to you, Chris. I, yep. So I agree as well, but let me ask you this. This is, so there's a few other podcasts that I listen to on a regular basis and there's some where they review movies. And, and one of the ones that I listen to, uh, called the rewatchables, which is on the ringer, uh, which I think I mentioned before. One of the questions they always ask when they review a movie is, do you think this movie could be remade today? And then would it be better as an actual two hour movie or would it be better as a 10 episodes Netflix special? So I, I'm asking you this. Do you think that you could remake fast times of Richmond high set today in 2019 
as a two hour movie? Would it work or would it work better as a 10 episode Netflix? Or are you just think this is this is of the time. It's not going to work to the level it worked in 1982 and just leave it in 82. That's what do you gra- think? That's a great question. I would say no to both. And they can't remake it as a movie and they can't remake it as a Netflix special. And here's why. Because everything that I've seen done recently, they've got to cram it full of these gorgeous people. And this movie didn't have that. Kate just mentioned that. And and Kate and I were just talking about that before, about how some of these characters, they just look like regular people. And they just instead, they just cast really good actors. And now, like when I watch a show like Riverdale or something like that. (laughs) <laughs> they just, they just, they're all these like beautiful people and they're not like, they're not as realistic. I don't know. I just, I, I think that back then there was more of a realism, especially in this movie. And so for that reason, I don't, I, I'm not saying they can't, they couldn't remake it now, but they wouldn't remake it right. I think, um, I think it's possible. I mean, obviously kids, millennials, whatever these days are a little more sophisticated, um, so they've seen, they've experienced a lot of these issues already, but I, I could see it as like a Netflix, like limited run special possibly. But again, like it would have to be updated to the now, like, you know, the main characters maybe, you know, uh, you know, of like of color or transgendered or, you know, they're dealing with um, same sex relationships. You know what I mean? Like it would have to be set into contemporary times now. But, yeah, I could see it as a Netflix special. Hmm. So maybe it would. Anyway, um, so I think we pretty much covered all the aspects of the film and we've done a pretty good job of it as well, I'd say. Uh-huh. Uh, on that note, what do you say we have some fun with Caveman? <laughs> So over to you, Caveman. Take it away. <laughs> All right. So uh, what do you got for us tonight? What do you want to do? Fast Times at Ridgemont High, as we've clearly established, is a teen comedy. One of the first, one of the arguably best teams comedies. Mm-hmm. And so I've dug into the vault and uh, picked out, you know, 10 or 12 teen comedies that have come out in the last, you know, 30 years. Some from the 80s, some from the 90s. And uh, I'm going to give you a one-line synopsis of the teen comedy in question. And I need you guys to try and jump in and give me the answer. Should I wait and let give give Chris some time? Before if, I if you in? think the okay. answer is from the 80s, give mm. Chris a chance. If okay. it's from the 90s, I can tell you now, he won't get it. <laughs> so jump in as fast as you can. Aww. But let me finish the question first. All right. Chris, is that fair? Well, sounds good to me. All right. <laughs> In no particular order. Okay. All right. So, first question. This is for Kay. Oh, okay. <laughs> in this tw- in this 2010 teen comedy, Emma Stone plays a clean-cut high school student <laughs> who relies on the school's rumor mill to advance her social and financial standing. Kay, what's the answer? Easy A. Got it. Good to go. Chris, have you seen Easy A? No, but I think I could have probably guessed that one. I've heard of it. So, this one, actually, Chris, I think you might have actually seen this one, even though it's a newer film. So, uh, give Chris a chance, just in case. I will. All right. In this 2007 film, two codependent high school seniors and their friend McLovin are forced to (laughs) deal with separation anxiety after their plan to stage a booze-soaked party goes awry. Chris, do you know the answer? I do it super bad. 
Yes, there we go. And I know yeah. it because I mean that is like basically a seventies and eighties movie right there. It is. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah, pretty it's good. very much in yeah. that same vein. All right, we'll have to we'll have to review Superbad at some time in the future, Chris. I, I really love that movie. Me too. All right, I like it. Okay, next question. Yep. In this 1995 remake of Jane Austen's Emma, a rich high school student tries to boost a new pupil's popularity, but reckons without affairs of the heart getting in the way. Can I guess it? Is it 10 things sure. I hate about you? Nope, that's wrong. Mm. Clueless. Clueless. Kay's got it. Oh, there you go. Good one. Got Ant-Man. Yes, starring Ant-Man, for sure. Next question. In this 2006 indie film, an offbeat young woman faced with an unplanned pregnancy makes an unusual decision regarding her unborn unborn child. I know it's Juno. Hey! <laughs> Come on. I love that movie. I like that movie too. It was really good. Yep. I think I've told you this before. Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman. Nice perfection. So, I saw Juno at its international premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival. And later that same day, I saw the premiere of No Country for Old Men. Oh, geez. What? So, I mean, two very different films, but two awesome films to see on the same day, both of them having their international premiere. It was a good day at the film festival for me that year. All right. Next question. Okay, Chris, this is right up your alley. All right. If you don't get this, I'm going to be very disappointed in you. (laughs) In this 1985 film, a teenager played by John Cusack has to deal with his girlfriend dumping him among family crisis, homicidal paperboys, and rival skier. Is it Better Off Dead? It is! Yeah! $2. Yes. Ask for a dime. I don't have a dime. I didn't ask for a dime. Ask for $2. $2. Yep. Yep. That one's also for my buddy Jamie. He loves that movie. Nice. Nice. All right. Next question. Again, Chris, you should get this. It's okay. from the 80s. This 1986 classic, a high school wise guy ditches school with his best friend and his girlfriend <laughs> while they try to elude capture from their high school principal. Oh, come on. Oh, oh please. It's it's um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Hey! There we go. I'm like, Kay's here biting her tongue because I knew she knew the answer. Okay. You might actually get this one too, Chris, from the 90s. I'll try. This 1999 film features four teenage boys who enter a pack to lose their virginity on prom night. You better know this one. Four teenage boys enter a pack to lose their virginity oh, by it, prom night. Oh, it's American Pie. You made me watch it. Yay! <laughs> Here we go. Reviewed on this podcast only a few weeks before. Okay. This one's for Kay because I know oh. Chris won't get this at all. Okay. But Chris, hey, show her up if you can. Okay. In this 1998 <laughs> film, high school seniors attend the last party of the year where Amanda Beckett, played by Jennifer Love Hewitt, finds a discarded love letter written by love-struck Preston Myers, played by Ethan Embry, who never expects her to read it. Oh, man, I can I can picture the picture yep. on the DVD. Chris, any idea? That's a movie I never want to watch. All right. <laughs> it's called Can't Hardly oh, Wait. Oh, Can't Hardly Can't Wait. Hardly yeah, Wait. Yeah, yeah. It was actually pretty good. Can't sit through it. All right. There you go. All right. Here's another one that's for cakes. Okay. Chris yeah. will get this. Jeez. This 2006 film, a high school slacker played by Justin Long, who's rejected by every school he applies to, to 
opts to create his own institution of higher learning. Jeez, what's the name of that one? Yeah, I know the one. I've seen it. It's pretty funny. Chris, any idea? I have no clue. That's, of course that's, not. That's not a high school one, though. That's more a college one. Oh, boo-hoo. Okay, it, it was called Accepted. Right. It actually features uh, very funny cameos one. from uh, Lewis Black as one of the professors. All right. This 1997 film features a nerdy outcast played by Grey's Anatomy. Pardon me. Hold on. I got the date wrong. Okay. This 1987 film mm-hmm. features a nerdy outcast played by Grey's Anatomy's McDreamy, who secretly pays the most popular girl oh, in school $1,000 to be his girlfriend. It's Camp I Me Love. All right. That movie does not hold up. We watched that recently. My <laughs> really? Wife and I, yeah, it doesn't hold up. It's awful. No? No, it does not. All right. Okay, last question. Nope. In this 1989 comedy classic, Roy Dobler, played by John oh, Cusack. I love this movie. Is a noble underachiever who falls in love with a beautiful valedictorian the summer before she goes to college. It's got my favorite song. Chris, do you know the answer? Is it Say Anything? It, it is. is. Say anything. Uh, yep. It features Kay's favorite song, which is? In Your Eyes. Yep. Kitty Gabriel. Yep. I mean, we in, in the boombox. Yep. 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 All right. You guys did pretty good on that. There's a few I stumped John, but uh, yeah, for the most part, the ones in the 80s, Chris got. The ones in the 90s, Kay got most of them. Oh, so there Yay. you go. All right. And speaking of Kay, you can find her on Twitter at KW underscore Myers. And Kay... Thanks a lot for joining us this week. Really appreciate uh, it. Thank you so much for having me this time, Chris and Derek. And, and you know, just thanks for, for loaning Derek to us every every week <laughs> for us to do this show. We certainly appreciate that. Uh, my pleasure. So in, in a future in a future episode, not the next episode, but in a future episode, Chris, I know you have not seen any of the movies from the Alien franchise. No, I have not seen a single and, one. And those are some of Kay's absolute favorite movies mm-hmm. of all time. I think if I remember yeah. on a previous episode, you mentioned that uh, you had told Kay that I had never seen any of the Alien films and she just hated me. Uh, no, I said, unfriend. <laughs> that was it. That was it. I, I, I don't like that so, guy anymore. <laughs> at some point in the future, we will watch sure. Alien and or Aliens. Oh, sure. And when we do, we will definitely have Kay on because uh, she knows more about those movies than <laughs> both of us put, put together. We can do that. Uh, but for our next show, I'm going to nominate a movie for you. Okay, what movie do I have to watch? This is I have to watch Academy Award okay. Best Picture nominee from 1997. Okay, The Full Monty. Oh wow, I I have not seen The Full Monty. Come on. No. Nope. Well, let me just tell you, there's a reason it was nominated for Best Picture, and I I'd be shocked if you don't enjoy this movie. I'm not going to say that you're going to love it. But I really hope you do. But I think there's a lot of redeeming qualities. This movie holds up. I've watched it a bunch of times. I've watched it quite recently. And uh, we laugh every single yeah. time. There, there's a lot of it's, it's quotable. There's a lot of jokes that are, you know, highly memorable. It's I really British, think that, isn't it? It's like a British movie. It is. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I really like it. It's, it's definitely a movie that I could watch anytime it comes on TV for sure. And uh, it was actually uh, a new release of Blockbuster Video when Ken and I first met. Oh, well. Like, so not long after we met. Yeah. It's a, so. it's a very special movie. Nothing like uh, having a movie that sort of reminds you of your early days together than one in which a bunch of men reveal their Johnsons. Oh, my, my, my. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that's always nice. Uh, so, yeah, I will definitely watch the full Monty before we do it. We're going to take a couple of weeks off because we've got something going on next week. So we'll, we'll be back in two weeks, right, to do that show. But I will watch the full Monty and we'll come back and watch it and we'll review that show together. Uh, like I said, you can find Kay on Twitter at KW underscore Myers. You'll find Derek at Amaron underscore DM. And you'll find me at C McBrien. Again, popcozierworld.com is our website. You'll find all the information on there if you want to reach out to us or send us an email or anything. And make sure you leave us a review on iTunes. We'd obviously appreciate that. But until next time, this is Chris McBrien for both Derek and Kay Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 